certainly throughout this book, one of the things I've learned is that not to undervalue the apprenticeship style of learning. It's almost preferable in a lot of cases, I think. I think where possible. I um, think that is like the best education. Yeah. It's kind of the the more that I'm learning and going through both my own discoveries it's like that apprentice way of learning is like for sure the best way and it's not limited to trades no, it's, it's not, not limited all. to um uh, the traditional forms of apprenticeships it's anything it's a little bit dependent on I've done some thinking about this and I think it's a little bit dependent on complexity and risk, I think. So, for example, you're not going to – what's the best way to teach someone to play basketball? Um, I think I've talked about this before, but you're not going to sit them in a lecture theatre and explain how to bounce the ball. You're going to throw them a basketball mm-hmm. and go shoot some hoops, aren't you? But that's also not super complex. It can get complex as you go into the game, but, you know, the fundamentals – and secondly, it's low risk, you know. You're not going to teach someone to free rock climb by, say, up you go, off, up, uh, mm. head to Yosemite and climb the dorm wall, you know. <laughs> secondly, and you're also not going to say, yeah, grab a scalpel and head into brain surgery, but see if you can work it out because the, the downside's too high. Yeah, but you might, but this is... But I think you can still – so in the, in the trade school, right, you're not going to start by building a house. You know, you're not going to be say – you're, say you're a builder, trade school, you're hammering in nails to build a timber frame on a house. You're not going to be starting on a house. So I think in a similar vein – You can build the might, blocks. Yeah. And, and, and well, you, I guess that you could say that that's a bit like cutting up a cadaver. Correct. As an example yeah. of starting down that way, you should be leaning into that as much as possible. But you also need to know a whole heap of theoretical knowledge too, and that's the same with engineering. In in some aspects, is that you you need to know you know the principles behind it to make effective decisions too. And this is this is I think the really interesting thing is that he believes that people should go from practice to theory, and not theory to practice. Hmm. Because when you go from theory to practice, his concern is that you've basically blinkered your way and your way of thinking, your model of the world and how things operate in that particular area. And so you are unable to see things in another way. Whereas if you're immersed in it, you have the opportunity to draw your own critical conclusions and then come out from it, looking at it from a more theoretical point of view and have criticism or you know, a point of view against it, which is amazing. How do you know when you know something? So an example would be this book is very dense and has a lot of information in it. And how do you know when you know it? Does that... Know it in the sense of being being able to recall it or know it in the sense of being able to like, it is who you are. Well, I think that's partly an, a- an answer to the question is that I'm starting to try and recognise when I fully know something and making sure I stop and give myself time to understand it to the point where 
if I can, and I think one of the tests is can you fully explain something to someone else? That gets thrown around a little bit and I think it's true. Yeah, in like 10 to 20 seconds type thing, you know, explain an idea in 20 seconds. But what it comes back to as well is that how do you feel when you really know something, you know? And when you get to the point where you actually fully know something, you can you kind of have internalized it to a point where you can kind of you can kind of embody it in a way. That's pretty metaphysical maybe, but I think that it's about slowing down and something I'm trying to learn over the years is that to give myself time to understand things like this fully. And I think that's part of his slowing down. And obviously this is such a revolutionary idea that he came up with that it took him 30 years. But even just reading this, I'm, I'm not sure I'm there yet with this. I'm certainly I, not there. I this. think I'm about halfway. So I'm going to keep revisiting it, thinking about it, talking to it, about with you, with others, trying to explain it to people until I know it to the point where I can really introduce it into my life fully. Yeah. And I, but I think, I think about you getting to know it is also on our topic before we we're talking about like how many books we're going to read this year. Yeah. And that's more from our perspective so that we can keep, keep up with making episodes. <laughs> but I don't think that's like the best approach either. Well, I think there's a lot of ego in that. Correct. Um, and I definitely put my hand up like, I want to say I read 40 books. I know there's a part of me that says, that I want to achieve that so I can kind of feel good about myself or something. Yeah. The dark, you know, the, the less refined parts of me wants to put that flag in the ground. But it's know? probably, it's, it's probably a pretty prominent part. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, certainly it's for me. Not, not afraid to admit that. Yeah. Um, but you are right in the fact that you could probably just ruminate on two or three and get, maybe get as much out of that. And I'm not sure. Because I think, I think the, the core is there is that you you intake some of this knowledge you know whatever it is and then you're explaining it to people you're talking about people but you're also practicing it you're also like doing it and and there's that real sort of experiential learning and then you get your own way of thinking about your own perspective on what that idea is and what it means applied in your own life and therefore you're better able to come back and explain it, mm. you know, because you've got that to draw on. You've got the sort of the story behind it. Something I do get out of reading quite a lot as well is that I don't necessarily put too much pressure on myself to really retain an idea after I've read the book. Because I find over time it kind of pops up. And when I'm reading something else, you can connect the dots and say, that's just like that. And you connect the two ideas from two different books or biographies or whatever, and you learn something from that connection. And a lot of the time it's, it's just in there somewhere and it's just got to sort of sit and it'll come back as in a thematic way. Yeah, something has to trigger it. But a lot gets lost too and I, I want to try and make sure... How do you get the most out of this? I don't know. You just keep going, I think. Interesting quote. Most sciences came from technology, not technology coming from science. So this is at the core of his apprenticeship, doing his learning. Uh, and pretty pretty like, pretty out there. Like 
yeah. when I initially heard that, I was like, what? Yeah. No? But I guess a classic example of it is when we were, when we were um, you know, back running around the fields and starting to look at moving around a little bit faster and we wanted to get off our legs, I don't think we exactly invented the wheel by planning and designing in an office, a wheel. Drawing. I suspect there was like a couple of logs that were kind of just started rolling somehow and we decided to put some things on top of it and Flintstones Flintstones we're, we're running around in Flintstones cars so the reason he calls Black Swan events Black Swan events is that throughout the years when the Europeans were still in Europe the white swans were around and it was thought that all swans are white but when they actually travelled down to um, Australia and Oceania and those sort of regions exploring, they discovered that there were black swans. And then all of a sudden, not all swans were white. There were black swans as well as white swans. And it's kind of representative of his ideas of hidden risk, hidden items and all black swan all swans are white until there is a black one and so but there were black swans always existed we just hadn't observed them so so i was in sydney a couple of weeks ago and i was walking along the shore and i saw a fisherman on the rocks and i feel like this is a great black swan example it's probably not quite the level of randomness that you might say that is a black swan event but people die fishing on the rocks all the time right and i was standing there watching and this guy was pretty smart he had a life jacket on and stuff like that but god knows why he'd do it anyway and 10 waves came in lapping up lapping up lapping up another 10 one was slightly bigger than the other they all fit in this nice little pattern and then one doesn't and that's what kills you because the next wave doesn't. It's bigger. Something's happened. The, in, the reaction between the wave coming back and the forces and the wave, the superimposing imp- on the other one, there's one that's ten times as big and it washes you off and kills you. So I would, I would say, right, the black swan in that event is you're doing your usual fishing, yeah, and there's four earthquakes that happen <laughs> in the ocean just out <laughs> yeah. just yeah. outside totally all possible yeah. along some tectonic plates and yeah. things and there is a massive tidal wave that comes in <laughs> and not only wipes you the fuck out but wipes out the entire town that you live in oh, as well it's bloody horrible becoming an academic was his retirement as he calls it right <laughs> this is but what he, he hates academics yeah. Because he thinks they're the ones who create all these models that don't matter and aren't out in the real world understanding it, right? Yeah, I think there's a few... There's Gamification. A, yeah. There's a few, there's a few uh, gripes he has. There's one that it, there's, there's only... There's no... He sees there's no risk. Sure, there's risk, but he's, he's very... Um, he uses a lot of hyper, hyperbole in how he speaks. So 
He says there's no risk in academia because you're only judged by your peers. You're not no ju- skin in the game. There's no skin in the game. You're not in there. You're not. You're not putting yourself out there. You're to not affected the, by the outcome. To the the end outcome, what and and the end sort of consumer or customer or whatever it is that's impacted. Um, he also talks about that the other issue is because there's there's a lot of people in that game that have pursued these things for decades. What do you think the chances of someone pursuing something for decades and then going, oh, all my work was a load of shit? Oops, too much Oops. ego. Plus, there's like if you look at the talking heads on TV the, that are academics or whatever, there's actually no economists are a great example. There's no real penalty for being wrong. No one, CNN don't call them up next week and get them back on and go, hey, yeah, you, what you told me was complete rubbish. Yeah, that doesn't happen. You just get to have the hot take and move forward, you know, because it's kind of. So, yeah, there is no skin in the game feedback loop in that either. 